Part three, chapter three of Faces in the Fire and Other Fancies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April 6090, California, United States of America. Faces in the Fire and Other Fancies by Frank W. Borum. Part three, chapter three the felling of the tree i was strolling with some friends up a lovely avenue in the bush this afternoon when a quite unexpected experience befell us on either side of the narrow track the tall trees jostled each other at such close quarters that when we looked up only a ribbon of sky could be seen above our heads the tree-tops almost arched over us straight before us was a hill surmounted by a number of gigantic blue gums only one or two of which were visible in the limited section of the landscape which the foliage about us permitted us to survey as we sauntered leisurely along the leafy path thinking of anything but the objects immediately surrounding us we were suddenly startled by a loud and ominous creaking and straining looking hastily up we saw one of the giant trees falling and describing in its fall an enormous arc against the clear sky ahead of us what a crash as the toppling monster strikes the treetops among which it falls what a thud as the huge thing hits the ground what a roar as it rolls over the hill bearing down on all lesser growths before it our first impression was that the tree had been reduced by natural forces but we soon discovered that it had been deliberately destroyed the men were already at work upon a second magnificent fellow and we waited until he too was prostate nothing in the solar system suggests such a mixture of emotion as the felling of a great tree in a way it is pleasant and exhilarating or why was mr gladstone so fond of the exercise and why were we so eager to stay until the second tree was down richard jeffreys who hated to destroy things and often could not bring himself to pull the trigger of his gun nevertheless felt the fascination of the axe much as i admired the timber about the chase he says i could not help sometimes wishing to have a chop at it the pleasure of felling trees is never lost in youth in manhood so long as the arm can wield the axe the enjoyment is equally keen as the heavy tool passes over the shoulder the impetus of the swinging motion lightens the weight and something like a thrill passes through the sinews why is it so pleasant to strike what secret instinct is it that makes the delivery of a blow with axe or hammer so exhilarating what indeed for certainly a wild delight makes the heart beat faster and sends the blood bounding through the veins as one sees the axes flash the chips fly the gash grow deeper and notices at last the first slow movement of the glorious tree and yet i confess that mixed with this pungent sense of pleasure there was a still deeper emotion the thing seemed so irreparable it is easy enough to destroy these monarchs of the bush but who can restore them to their former grandeur it must have been this sense of sadness that led beaconsfield gladstone's famous protagonist to ordain in his will that none of his beloved trees at hewingdon should ever be cut down how long had these trees stood there these two giants that have been in a few moments reduced to humiliating horizontally i cannot tell they must have been here when all these hills and valleys were peopled only by the aboriginals they saw the black man prowl about the bush from the hill here overlooking the bay they must have seen captain cook's ships cast anchor down the stream 
they watched the coming of the white men they saw the convict ships arrive with their dismal freight of human wretchedness they witnessed the swift and tragic extermination of the native race they beheld a nation spring into being at their feet did the great trees know that as the white men exterminated the black men so the white men could exterminate them did they feel that the coming of those strange vessels up the bay sealed their own doom before the newcomers could build their homes or lay out their farms or plant their orchards they must make war on the trees with fire and axe homes and nations can only be built by sacrifice and the trees are the innocent victims i suppose the sadness arises partly from the fact that the forest is man's oldest and most faithful friend and one towards whom he is inclined to turn with ever-increasing reverence and affection as the years go by with the advance of the years we all turn wistfully back to the things that charmed our infancy and the race obeys that self-same primal law almost every nation on the face of the earth traces its history back to the forest primeval from the forest we sprang and by the forest we were originally sustained and even when at length the primitive race issued from those leafy recesses and devoted itself to agriculture and to commerce men still regarded their ancient fastnesses as the storehouse from which they drew everything that was essential to their progress and development man found the forest his warehouse his factory his armory his all with logs that he felled in the bush he built his first primitive home out of branches that he tore from the trees he fashioned his first implements and tools and when the tranquillity that brooded over his pastoral simplicity was broken by the shout of discord and the noise of tumult it was to those self-same woods that he rushed for his first crude weapons of defence architecture agriculture invention and military ingenuity have each of them made enormous strides since then but it was in the bush that each of these potent makers of our destiny was born and did not john smeaton confess that he borrowed from the graceful curve of the oak as it rises from the ground the main idea that characterized the construction of the eddy stone lighthouse whenever the architect the farmer the inventor or the soldier desires to visit the scenes amidst which his craft spent its earliest infancy it will be to the forest primeval that he will turn his steps of medicine too the same may be said for in those long and leisured days of sylvan quiet men learned the secrets of the bark and discovered the healing virtues that slept in the swaying leaves and straightway the forest became a pharmacy when exhausted by his labor or enervated by unaccustomed conditions his health failed him man resorted for his first drugs and tonics to his ancient home among the trees indeed he still returns to the forest to be nursed and tended in his hour of sickness those who have read jean stratton porter's harvester know what wonders lurk in the woods the harvester lived away in the forest and from bark and gum and sap and leaf he collected the tonics and anodynes and stimulants which he sold to the chemists in the great cities and after a while every tree that he felled seemed to him such a wealthy store of healing virtue that when he began to think of his dream-girl and his future home he could scarcely bring himself to build his cabin out of logs that were so overflowing with medicinal properties he was in love and all the tumultuous emotions awakened by that great experience were surging through his veins and yet it seemed to him an act of sacrilege to cut chairs and tables out of such sacred things as trees he apologetically explained the delicacy of the situation to each oak and ash before lifting his axe against it you know how i hate to kill you he said to the first one he felled 
but it must be legitimate you know for a man to take enough trees to build a home and no other house is possible for a creature of the woods but a cabin is it the birds use the material they find here and surely i have a right to do the same nothing else would serve at least for me i was born and reared here and i've always loved you but for all that he felt as the fragrant chips flew in all directions just as a man might feel who killed a pet lamb for the table and the harvester could scarcely reconcile himself to his iconoclastic work in medicine woods he had learned the awful sanctity of the forest the forest that was the home and nurse and mother of us all and it seemed to him a dreadful thing to slay a tree fraser tells us in his golden bough that the odiwa indians very rarely cut down green or living trees they fancy that it puts the poor things to such pain and some of their medicine men aver that with their mysterious powers of hearing they have heard the wailing and the screaming of the trees beneath the axe mr adams too in his israel's ideal has reminded us that in eastern africa the destruction of the coconut tree is regarded as a form of matricide since that tree gives men life and nourishment as a mother does her child the early greek philosophers aristotle and plutarch watching the rustling of the leaves and the swaying of the graceful branches came to the conclusion that trees are sentient things possessed of living souls and in his tales for children tolstoy makes as pathetic a scene out of the death of a great tree as many a novelist makes out of the death of a gallant hero now it must have been out of this strange feeling this dim consciousness of a sacredness that haunted the leafy solitudes that man came to regard the forest with a superstitious gratitude and veneration the bush represented to him the source of all his supplies the reservoir that met all his demands the means of all healing and the very fountain of life and so he plunged into the depths of the forest and erected his temples there in its shady groves he reared his solemn altars in its leafy glades he built his shrines and the imagery of the forest wove itself into the vocabulary of his devotion the representation of a sacred tree occurs repeatedly carved upon the stony ruins of egyptian Asrian and phoenician temples and herodotus more than once remarks upon their frequency of tree worship among the ancient peoples pliny too marvelled at the reverence which the druids felt for the oak and in a scarcely less degree for the holly the ash and the birch and what stirring passages those are in which george borrow describes the weird rites and dark symbolism of the gypsies as they worshipped at dead of night in the fearsome recesses of the pine forests of spain it is not really surprising that this haunting sense of sanctity in the woods should lead man to worship there even emerson felt that the gods talk in the breath of the woods they talk in the shaken pine and the harvester himself found the forest to be instinct with moral and spiritual potencies you not only discover miracles and marvels in the woods he said but you get the greatest lessons taught in all the world ground into you early and alone courage caution and patience here then we have the trees as teachers and preachers and many a man has learned the deepest lessons of his life at the feet of those shrewd and silent philosophers but what about brother lawrence whose practice of the presence of god has become one of the church's classics the first time i saw brother lawrence writes his friend was upon august third sixteen sixty six he told me that god had done him a singular favor in his conversion at the age of eighteen it happened in this way 
one winter morning seeing a tree stripped of its leaves and considering that within a little time the leaves would be renewed and that after that the flowers and fruit would appear he received a high view of the providence and power of god which has never since been effaced from his soul what god could do for the leafless tree he thought he could also do for him milton tells us that the forest which has played so large a part in the development of this world will flourish also in the next in heaven the trees of life ambrosial fruitage bear and vines yield nectar and having all this in mind is it not pleasant to notice that the very last chapter of the bible tells of the tree that waves by the side of the river of life there is something sacramental about trees george gissing says that odessus cutting down the olive tree in order to build for himself a home is a picture of a man performing a supreme act of piety through all the ages he says that picture must retain its profound significance the trees of medicine woods yielded up their life to the harvester's axe that he and his dream girl might dwell in security and bliss and on a green hill far away without a city wall another tree was cut down years ago that it might represent to all men everywhere the means of grace and the hope of glory and even more than all other trees the leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations end of part three chapter three